0: On today's podcast, it gives me great pleasure to introduce Casey Bryant from Trius Architectural Studio, who have been an amazing supporter of all of our different kinds of masonry over the years. But most importantly, received a high commendation from the Think Brick Awards last year for their Curl Curl House. Welcome, Casey.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay, Casey, before we go into your love of bricks, (laughs) which may take up all of this podcast, we were just talking earlier about you growing up in Sydney and I wondered whether maybe you could describe your childhood here in Australia.
1: Yeah, I had a a very mobile childhood moved around a lot so i was born in sydney actually out lived in Karajong, um, okay. so kind of semi-country and i mean back then it was very country yeah and we had you know a, a pool a tennis court and the australian dream and all those sorts of things but then my, my dad was english so we moved to london when i was three and oh, wow yeah we were there till i was eight and we moved back again and then moved every three years so i haven't lived in the same house for more than three years Until, yeah, I rented my own house and lived there for four years. And still, that's the longest I've ever lived in one house.
0: Wow. And that was related to your father's job, I'm assuming? No, it was
1: completely random. Like, yeah, I don't, I I mean, we moved over for my dad's work, I think. We moved back because my granddad was sick and then he was fine. So that was good. But yeah, and then just moved a lot, you know, lived on the central coast. And then like progressively moved closer and closer to Sydney (laughs) down the north shoreline.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I'm curious, um, Casey, what sort of perspective when you reflect on that? Did that give you?
1: It was interesting growing up in lots of different conditions. So, you know, Currajong was the Australian dream. Mm. Um, living in kind of South London and, and Surrey, which is, it's not kind of like London proper, but it's very much like, you know, the old kind of mock Tudor houses and cul de sacs and things like that. And then moving back to, central coast we lived on top of a hill overlooking a beach so I had this kind of weird childhood of like country city beach bum like all of those things folded together and getting a little bit of an experience of all of those was kind of interesting I think
0: and I'm just curious as a child what did you do when you were moving around so much how did you make yourself feel at home
1: That's a good question, I guess. I mean, I was a pretty introverted child and I liked to, you know, play computer games and board games and those sorts of things. So Mm -hmm. I think that was something that helped, just being kind of insular like that. But I think my dad used to work from home a lot as well, so I'd spend time with him. My mum was, I mean, she's an amazing woman, so I'd spend a lot of time with her. I would really close with my parents when I was younger, which is really nice. So, yeah. And
0: did you have siblings or was it just you? I have
1: a half-brother and a half-sister. who are both a lot older. Okay. they won't let me tell you on air how old they are. They okay, get if that's they fair. Care. But yeah, so we, I was effectively like an only child at home. But yes. But had that kind of extended family network, which was lovely. So,
0: And when did you sort of think that architecture may be for you or how did those sort of skills develop growing up?
1: So my father was actually an architect for a part of his life. Okay. Um, so I was, always, I was always exposed to it. Mm-hmm. He built a house that we lived in in the Central Coast, which was in the very early days of Hebel. We uh. built this house entirely out of Hebel block and didn't really waterproof it very well, so it kind of leaked. So I had this great exposure to all the ups and downs of being an architect and things that can go wrong. I think when I was young, I actually really didn't want to be an architect because of, you know, that association. But I really liked creating things. I liked designing, you know, lots of Lego and all those sorts of things. And... I had this funny experience when I was finishing year twelve, where I actually really wanted to be an aeronautical engineer or a car mechanic or something, someone that designed like planes and sports cars and all these sorts of things mm-hmm. that you know young boys are into. Yeah, and I had a really good conversation with a family friend who was like, "You don't do that," and I said, "Oh, why?" And he said, "Because you won't be the one doing the design work. You'll be, you know, someone kind of executing all these little other people's dreams and things." And I thought that's. bit of a pessimistic way of looking at it but it was i think it was probably good advice for that in the early 2000s Think, yeah, becoming an aeronautical engineer and hoping to go and work for boeing or lockheed martin and design airplanes is pretty optimistic so i kind of went through that whole process of thinking and realized that actually i really like designing things and architecture is a great way to you know, think about how you design, but then also how you get involved with the building of things as well because I really like making things. So, yeah. Yeah, that kind of layer of design and craft, architecture just made sense. It was, wasn't really about, you know, buildings particularly. It was just about that layer of engagement, doing things.
0: And I guess you've probably been able to observe and witness your father building a house, so at least you knew that whilst it may not be a plane, you know, you still had control
1: over the design. Yeah, and you can create things as well. Like, he put a a garden in the middle of, you know, between two living rooms in the middle of the house, and like, it was kind of unheard of at the time Mm. to do that sort of thing, but it was really interesting that you could break the mould of a project home and do something different like that.
0: So you get to Year 12, so you have this conversation with this family friend. How valuable is that, by the way? Like, oh, It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what do you do?
1: I went into, went into uni, mm-hmm. um, Sydney University Architecture, yeah, and just put a lot of effort into that. There's lots of stereotypes about university culture and architecture mm-hmm. and late nights and things, and I definitely probably proliferated that a little bit. But, yeah, put a lot of effort into uni, really enjoyed it made a lot of really good friends, like very close friends who I still see a lot, which is really nice.
0: And was your experience of uni what you thought it would be?
1: I don't know if I had any idea. Yeah. I think I, I – mean, you always think it's just going to be like more school and it's not, yes, yeah. especially when you do something like architecture where you're very kind of hands-on and you're not doing kind of standard maths, English, mm. sciences, all those sorts of things. You're actually designing things and I think you have this realisation that my value is in what I can create, not in the numbers that I can remember. And that was a really yeah special moment for me to learn that.
0: And during that time, were there any architects that sort of made an impression on you whilst you were going through that learning?
1: Uh, yeah, I had a massive crush on Renzo Piano. Okay. It's interesting. Like at that time, his work was prolific, and you know all of the work that he was doing around the world. And I think when you're young, you you look at the star architects and you mm. go, "Well, they're amazing. What are they doing?" But I really like I liked his work a lot. Still do. I think that there was a romance when I was in uni and I used to, like, a lot of the work that I do for people be like, that looks, looks familiar. <laughs> yeah,
0: Influences. Very influenced. Yeah. 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 And so you finished university and did you travel at all during that time?
1: Yeah, I took a year off between the two degrees. Yes. I um, was lucky enough to work for Peter Stutchbury, oh. um, which was amazing for a year as a yeah. student. He's an incredible, incredible architect. Yes, is, um, yeah. And in that time, I went, and I went on a big holiday to Italy. And I was also very lucky to become one of the volunteers for the Venice Biennale and worked in the Australia Pavilion. Mm. And it was the year that Dovec Bloch did the design of all these little models. It was mm. like 300 models or something. And I had this great experience where I actually made the models for Stutchbury and then went over there and helped set them up and got to see that whole experience. So that mm. exposure was really important for me I think but yes yeah, so I stayed I stayed in Italy for like you know, two months just traveled around and by myself and yeah, it was really fun.
0: And was there any architecture there that kind of informed or influenced future work?
1: So Stephen Varady took a big group of Australians on a little tour around Northern Italy mm-hmm. and we went to a chapel designed by Alto in Northern Italy mm-hmm. and it's a really fantastic building not so well known because you look at alto's work it's all in finland and it was this amazing experience of just rocking up on a bus full of australian architects i was like i was a student at the time i was a nobody and you know getting out talking to these people and getting out and finding this amazing you know curvy thoughtful building in the middle of a forest really Mm. it was quite special you know the light coming into it all those sorts of things as Pretty impressive, and that stuck with me.
0: And so then you come back, you finish your degrees, and then when did you go to Melbourne?
1: Straight after uni finished. Okay. Um, So I was working for Andrew Burns when I was at uni and then to his much dismay I left him. (laughs) My wife got a really great job down in Melbourne, so we moved down there for two years and I worked for McBride Charles Ryan and also spent some time with a now very well-known group of architects called Sibling. And they were starting out and became good friends with them as
0: well. Yeah. Well, I think McBride Charles Ryan, they really set the trend when I started in this role and we started the awards and – I've said it a few times but Debbie was the one that really shifted our focus from conceptual buildings to buildings that were built out of brick and yeah. really shaped the awards and, and rightly so yeah. But and they continue to be such a legacy
1: for brick. Yeah, they're amazing people. Yes. Too. It was really fun working with them. Yeah. I got the, the privilege of working on their house for a little bit. Which was pretty special, just that kind of you know raw creativity just going into something that you know you don't have to worry about clients think, just what each other thinks, and it's just this amazing experience. And
0: it's like, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to go in there as well. It's just like this is just cool, but I expect that from an architect, yeah, Yeah.
1: and and like beyond cool for them as well. You just expect it to be you know nuts and amazing and pushing every boundary possible, and it did, yeah. 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 (laughs) Really
0: cool. And then you were in Melbourne just for a couple of years, yes,
1: two years, and then moved back to Sydney. Got quite sick, so we moved back and spent the rest of his life in Sydney with him, which was fun. Yeah, and yeah, came back to Andrew Burns. Which okay, was really good. so yeah, spent oh, I can't remember how many years it was. It must have been four or five with him. Yeah, amazing.
0: When you think back in those sort of years where you're establishing yourself, is there any projects that you look back either wanting to laugh or cry on, <laughs> or both?
1: So I live near Ganyama Park Aquatic Centre. Okay, um, by Andrew Burgess. Yes, and Andrew Burns we were part of the shortlisted group of five on that competition entry mm-hmm. as well. And I go to that pool a lot with my daughter now. Yes. And it's quite amazing. Like, I, I spent a lot of time working on that competition entry with Andrew and the second stage was quite in-depth and it was really fun. And now going and seeing the finished thing from the competitor, it was really, yeah, it's really cool. But it's such a funny project for me because it was really special and really fun to work on. But I used to get congratulated for winning all the time because everyone would get Andrew Burgess and Andrew Burns confused, <laughs> which is hilarious. I'm like, oh... Thanks, but we kind of didn't win. <laughs> but, but it's a great building.
0: Yes. Yeah, so yeah.
1: that's a fun one. But, I mean, I worked on some amazing projects with Andrew. We, when I was finishing up with him, we were working on the competition entry for the cabins down at Tassie, mm. which was just an incredible project to think about how you deliver an entire building by helicopter. Yeah. I worked on the, the Wolgan Valley Centre with Andrew, which was amazing just to think about how you design a space for 100-plus kids to come together in the bush, to appreciate the bush, And then think about how you service it, how you deal with bushfire, all those Mm. sorts of things. So that layer of design and experience overlaid with the pragmatics of how you actually put buildings in Mm. landscapes—that was really special for me. Yeah. So,
0: and I just wonder—we'll get into obviously Koko House, but are you able to describe the impact of awards programs for architects? Because the competition aspect is not only a recognition one, but also very commercial for
1: this industry. Yeah, yeah, Mm. it is. It's interesting. And now as a kind of predominantly residential architect doing single houses, Mm. it's really different to the impact I think a commercial architect finds from those projects Mm. winning awards. So, I mean, just to answer your original question, like, I have this very special memory of Andrew Burns winning the International Architecture Award for Australia House. Mm-hmm. And I got to go and visit Australia House with him when it opened. And I just have this vivid memory of sitting. it was in the Opera House in Sydney and him getting up on stage and winning that award It's really special for me. So that's always going to be with me, which is really great. I think that all the awards programs are really valuable to bring recognition. And even if it's not kind of public recognition, to allow yourself to give yourself kind of good personal recognition and say I did something really good and someone else thinks it's really good and that's Mm. special and especially for you know I think a lot of architects can be quite insular they can be kind of in their little bubble Mm. and sometimes it's good to have someone else say to you, hey you did a good job and it makes you feel good it breaks you out of the bubble and builds confidence to do the next project which might be bigger and better and more important.
0: It's interesting at the sort of initial beginnings of the awards programs a lot of architects would say I don't know whether what I'm going to enter is good enough Mm. and I'd be like well that's not your job (laughs) that's the jury's job (laughs) you know and and we'd say that the members would come back and they'd say oh the architect doesn't know whether they should enter or not Mm. well enter you know you never know but it is brave putting yourself out there as well and I think that's a good thing in itself and how have you found the think brick awards to be different I guess
1: brilliant sorry I know this is going to sound like I'm totally been brought on to do a pitch job but it's by far one of the easiest awards programs to engage with, Yes. which is really good. You should mm. be very proud of the way that you've <laughs> done on it. But it's very clear. I found it really easy to enter all the projects. And I think it's really nice to recognise, you know, things that you focus on in a building, like whether it's brick or whether it's concrete or whether it's tiles. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of awards programs, they don't have that focus. Mm. So I think it's nice to be able to kind of say, OK, this is something that, you know, we did a project that was about brick and we're really proud of that so we're going to put it in this award, but it's not for us, but it's like it, we feel like this is going to recognise the effort we put into this particular part of the building. So mm. I think that's really nice. Yeah.
0: Now, we sort of say to the jury as well, when you're looking at the projects, it really needs to be looked at around, could this have been achieved in any other material? Because if it could have, then that's not really the mm. purpose of the awards, you know. Yeah, it's really about right. trying to illuminate brick and showcase it, you know, yeah. in different ways. Yeah. So
1: yeah. And it was interesting for us. I mean, we had two projects kind of commended this year and they were one was masonry, and one was brick. And it was interesting to think about the potential of both. And they don't feel like really bricky projects or really masonry projects, but they both had this kind of value for using that material in a special way.
0: Yeah, and they both did very well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's go into now Curl Curl House and maybe just talk to us a little bit about how it came about and the development side of it.
1: Yeah, it is a really special project. It's obviously a very big project for us and was one that we engaged with a lot and put a lot of effort into. We worked with a great interior firm called Folk Studio. The backstory of that project is actually that they brought us the project, which is lovely. So the clients were, you know, approached Folk through previous kind of friendships and you know projects together and stuff like that and um folk approached us to work with them on it so that was lovely mm. you know to collaborate all the way through from the start but we actually all worked together with the clients to help them find a site you know, okay right back to that initial kind of thing
0: oh wow um, so they didn't already have a site
1: no no they were like we want to build this really special house and we want someone to help us find out where that should be
0: is amazing you know that's it that's really special because normally you have the site you know or yes yeah Yeah.
1: i think that one of the real amazing qualities of those clients is that they're extremely talented people and they're extremely generous and lovely people but they were great at just coming to people and saying look you know more about this than i do so let's work together you know Mm. it's really nice Mm. it's rare actually to have clients who are that i don't know if modest is the right word but honest with their you know they need they need help. They want to engage mm. with someone who's a professional and who understands design and who can get a really good outcome for them.
0: Yes, yeah. So you found the site or how was the site found? Um,
1: so the clients, they they found it and invited us to have a look at it and we all went along and I think Chris and Mariah from Folk Studio went as well.
0: Yeah. And then what were they trying to achieve with the house, I guess, and why Brick?
1: So it is their family house. So they wanted to create an oasis, in the city, they wanted to be able to walk down to the beach and walk back and feel like they are just immersed in a space that's totally theirs and is private, mm-hmm. which was really nice. And that was kind of their brief. They wanted this thing that was a special, you know, somewhere for them to go and be all mm-hmm. the time and feel like they're on holiday when they're at home, which okay. is a corny thing that some people say all the time, but I think it actually, you resort know, is really good.
0: Resort living, they, I think yeah, they commercialised yeah, it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but they also wanted something that was very sustainable, that was future proof that was future thinking that would outlast them Mm -hmm. it was actually the first time they'd kind of built and owned a house okay so they wanted it to be they just want to do it once do it right yes so they wanted something that had really good bones and was really solid Mm -hmm. and brick and concrete were something that was very quickly thought up of this is what it needs to be we looked at lots of options Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously with you know sustainability front of mind concrete is something that we need to think about carefully. Mm-hmm. And so we did a lot of studies about, you know, concrete versus framing mm-hmm. and actually tried to think about what's the life cycle of this building. Yeah. If it's 20 years, then concrete's not the answer. But if it's 50, if it's a hundred, then suddenly these become a different it becomes a different equation. It does. So that was a really valuable exercise for us to do I and mean, that Trius is really focused on sustainability and we care a lot about making those decisions part of the design from the start so that was a nice thing to explore with this mm. the clients really like brick we really like working with brick as a material to create something that feels solid mm-hmm. but also the house like it's clearly a counterpoint to the rest of suburbia mm-hmm. like it doesn't have eaves it doesn't have a pitched roof it's got this kind of lovely solid experience of two towers that you inhabit and the spaces between so yeah brick was a kind of a natural choice for us with that
0: and then you've used and executed it beautifully sort of the hit and miss screens Mm. how did they come about
1: we all are quite obsessed with peter zumpthorff's work (laughs) so we've all been to a lot of his buildings one of the sorry slight side story when we started trius we all went on a holiday together to switzerland and we actually got a hire car and we went to his office Unannounced, and we were just on the road, and he just like shuffled up the street in his slippers between offices, and we're like,
0: ah, um, out. <laughs> "Can I tell you? I was in conversation for years about getting him on the jury, Oh and he was lovely about yeah, it. Great, but yeah. he's actually quite elderly,
1: yeah. It'd be hard for um, to travel out here, yeah.
0: But we were trying when we were doing the jury in Venice, we were trying to do that. But I remember going. Maybe it was the 2016 Venice Biennale and he'd done an installation there. And I just felt personally rejected that he'd done that. <laughs> but he hadn't judged the Think Brick Awards. But the fascination and obsession is real.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It's something that we keep referring back to as a bit of a kind of bolster of, you know, people will say to us, sometimes clients say to us, so oh, you don't have a style. Like, what's your style? And we don't have like this kind of direct, like, this is what we always do kind of thing. Yeah. And then you look at, Peter Zumthor's work, and it's the same. It's like there's always this kind of, you know, layering of different materials, different priorities, different aesthetics that come into his work, and it's always really valuable. Yeah. So, so yeah, we we definitely look a lot of his work, and I think you can see some of the references in the screen to some of his work. Yes. But one of the things which is really fascinating for us is how you can create this, like I was saying before, this form which is not kind of typical pitched roof Eve's form how you can have that in Australia and still maintain a good thermal environment inside the house. Mm-hmm. So how you can create good shading and not too glary and all those sorts of things. And the living room at Kirklee House faces west, which, you know, in most cases like a big no-no you like yes. avoid that at a cost. But on the site, that western aspect looks out over these really beautiful trees and the neighborhood. And it was really important. So The house has these sliding timber screens that protect that aspect when it's the afternoon, you know, hot summer sun coming in. And the brick screens were an extension of that as well. So instead of having these kind of timber screens all over the building, which is slightly counter to the client's requirement for longevity and, you know, something that lasts forever, we thought brick screens was a really nice way of creating these dappled lights in spaces like studies and bathrooms where you want privacy, but you want like this kind of lovely natural light that just filters through, almost like through the tree canopy or something like that. Yeah. it was a really nice way of doing that and it actually works really well when you're there so
0: and how long did construction take or the project from go to woe
1: i reckon we probably spent about two years designing and documenting and all those sorts of things from memory maybe a little bit less and i think it was on site for about 14 months from memory like that yeah it's those kind of numbers yeah jonathan and jennifer did all the site work yes um, so they would know those numbers as a you know recent (laughs) trauma. but yeah no it's it's those kind of times i mean it's actually pretty quick I think for what the size of the Mm, house is pretty good
0: and did anything surprise you with brick or that you hadn't encountered
1: before during this project I mean obviously the screens are something we tried yes and what was really amazing about that is the you know we had a really good builder we had a really good bricklayer and we had a really good engineer structural engineer and everyone kind of came together and scratched their heads about how to achieve that brick Mm. and We used a brick that's lots of different sizes because it was cut to different sizes on site and it all kind of stacks up in funny patterns. Mm -hmm. And we had spent a long time trying to work out how to achieve that and the bricklayer had a completely different way of achieving it, which was way better. And it was really eye-opening. Okay, well, let's trust the professionals. Let's trust the trade. And I said, what they are doing? And what was really great. So they laid it like a regular wall, like the rest of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Where we wanted to knock out a brick, they laid it with no mortar. They just put sand in. And they just came along after the fact and just like popped out bricks that weren't mortared in.
0: Wow! It was really I, actually, but how did the sand? Was it because it was wet sand?
1: No, it was just dry. It just sat there as dry sand, and it was they were all laying up in course together, and just come along, pop them out. Wow! Really I clever. actually haven't heard of that technique. No, neither, never. Okay, it's really cool. Wow, that surprised me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just like the things that the bricklayer thought of, he was like, okay, we've got to lay all these bricks upside down so the frogs don't catch water that kind of stuff. Really clever and nice to engage with someone like that. So it was really good. We did the finish on that is like a slight bagging on the whole building. Yes. And we did like four samples, you know, metre by metre samples made up with all these different finishes on it. And they, The Bricklayer engaged with that really well. So important,
0: you know, and whenever we get inquiries or things that have gone wrong, we say, did you do a sample wall? Yeah, did you You try it? No, or the sample wall was the built wall, you know. (laughs) Yeah, there's this little patch in the corner which looks weird.
1: Yeah, it's (laughs) not going to work.
0: and Casey you mentioned a little bit before around sustainability and I just would be curious to understand obviously your thoughts as to the role of architects in the built environment around that
1: I think that we need to be pioneers I think we need to be the ones who set the standard and I think more and more I didn't used to think this but I think more and more we need to be a bit more dogmatic about that with our clients Mm. we're really lucky that a lot of the clients that come to us, they want us to tell them what to do in terms of sustainability. They understand the the principles, they understand the, the potentials and the outcomes, but how to actually get there is something that you need, you know, an architect or someone holistically to look at because that's, I think that's actually the one thing that's been really interesting recently is that there's lots of really great professionals and there's lots of really great sources of information out there, but to actually synthesize it all together holistically is a challenge.
0: Yeah.
1: So you can go and say, okay, we want to be carbon neutral or we want to be off-grid or we want to be all recycled materials. But how you actually pull those things together? Yeah, what does that actually look like? What does it mean? What's the value? Like you might be carbon neutral, but you've absorbed, you know, a huge amount of carbon in the construction process. Mm. Or you might be off-grid, but you've spent, you know, a million dollars setting up a solar system or something like that. Yes. That holistic kind of layering of all those things is really important. Yeah.
0: Have you seen that change over the years? No, yeah, yes, definitely, especially okay. in our clients, and I think that's yeah, that's where I was getting to. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's the thing. Like, we can be architects, can be the ones to set the standard and say this is what we think is important. Clients have to actually put their money on the table and say this is what we want to do. This is what we value in our building. So, you know, for example, in Koko House, it's got a really thought out, all encompassing, integrated thermal heat pump system. So it runs hot water under the slab in winter. It runs mm-hmm. cold water under the slab in summer to cool mm-hmm. the whole house down. It runs all the domestic hot water for your showers and stuff. It runs the pool heating. It's got a huge solar array on the roof which powers all that from the sun. Mm-hmm. So they like have zero energy bills pretty much and everything's a little closed economy in that sense. Yes.
0: And Casey, just sort of to finish, if there was one thing that you could encourage people to think about when they were building and designing their house, what would it be for you? Oof.
1: I think the sustainability is the most important. Important thing at the moment. Mm -hmm. Like, there's so many ways you can build things, and everything has value. Everything that you can think of has been invented or developed for a particular reason. But I think it's important to be critical of like why you're doing something and what the agenda of a material is. So, do you care about it lasting a long time? Do you Mm -hmm. care about it being carbon neutral? Do you care about it being thermally efficient? We talk a lot about creating buildings that just have good bones that are, you know, honest to their materials and will last a long time. And as a result of that, they feel really comfortable to live in. They feel really kind of homely and humble and allow you to live your life in them. So I think having that level of critical thinking about what you actually want from a building is is pretty important. And I think you've
0: reinforced a point that we make a lot with regards to sort of life cycle of building materials. And yes, you know, sometimes there is an embodied carbon and emissions cost there up front, but if you stretch that out and bricks tend to go for 80 to 100 years, it's really impressive. But yet we have seemed to continue to shorten that life cycle span so that it makes a lot of other products seem really feasible Mm -hmm. when in fact – you know, they're
1: not. We're doing all these great projects with recycled brick and it's really amazing. Like we went to pick up some bricks from a friend of mine who's demolished part of his house in Paddington mm-hmm. and there was another guy there picking up a kitchen that they were, you know, recycling. And the guy said, oh, they they look like Wollongong bricks. When was the house built? They look like 1886 bricks from Wollongong because they've got this particular little fleck in yes. them. Yes. It's incredible stories like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you say 80 to 100 years, like 200? We don't even know. Like there's these bricks that were made around the kind of Sydney area in the 1880s for all the development in Sydney, still going strong.
0: And it says a lot, you know, even our manufacturers are manufacturing bricks that look like they're recycled as to how everyone loves that. I mean, you can sort of go to London and and see how long bricks last, but I think it's such a lovely story that they've been used beautifully in design as well.
1: Yeah. And versatile as well. Like we really like using bricks in kind of different formats, like flooring and painting yes. and things. So yeah, we've got this great other project where they have these orange clay tiles, outdoor tiles, and they, they look rubbish. They look I really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, but with the the landscape architect and I had this idea of like turning them sideways so these become this kind of beautiful, thin proportioned floor paver. It looks really cool. Yes. So there's lots of ways that you can work with that proportion of brick and apply it in different in different ways, which is really nice. It is
0: well, Kessie, thank you for joining us. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I've Thanks. learned so much. Exactly. We do have some rapid-fire questions oh, yeah. I'm going to ask you. All the answers are acceptable. <laughs> Reading the news, a newspaper or online? Online. Handwriting or typing?
1: It used to be handwriting and now it's definitely typing, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> Someone said that to me this morning just as an aside. He said, I actually type faster than I write. Yep. And I was like, ooh, I still... Reckon I write faster than I type, but also no one can read my writing anymore.
1: I type faster than I write until I have to go back and fix everything that I got wrong as I was typing. True. Yeah.
0: For sketching ideas and concepts, would you use a pencil, pen or e-pen?
1: A pen? I have, yeah, recently been playing with an iPad a lot more, okay. but I always tend to go back to a pen in a, a Moleskin.
0: Do you like to read books or listen to audiobooks? Audiobooks, yeah. What's important to you, style or substance? Substance. Coffee sure. or tea? Coffee. TV shows or movies?
1: Movies, but both, yeah.
0: Antique or brand
1: new? Oh, that's a tough one. I think, like, in the middle, mid-century modern. Mm, mid-century
0: modern. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't Feels had that before. New, yeah. <laughs> call or text? I
1: don't know. That's always the stress, isn't it? Everyone freaks out about whether to call or text. No, call for sure.
0: Travel back in time or into the future?
1: Oh, the future. I would be dead. Like, we would be dead now if we lived in the past. You know <laughs> Die in, like, the 20s. That's true. I hadn't thought of it like that.
0: <laughs> Exterior or interior?
1: I don't know. That's a challenging one. I like actually, you know, this is a bit of a side one for that. I like the division between the two. Yes. Instead of, like, the kind of great indoor-outdoor amorphous space. There's too many mosquitoes in Australia for that. That's true.
0: <laughs> Video games or board games? Board games. Form or function?
1: Oh, they should both be the same.
0: Complex or simple with relation to design? Simple. Casey Bryant, thank you so much for joining us today and being part of our Think Brick community and for all your beautiful designs that you've worked on. It's
1: a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: If you have enjoyed this podcast, please follow, rate and review our podcast. We are always looking for new ways to think brick. If you have an idea of what you'd like to hear about, there's a link in our show
1: notes to let us know.